0: We appreciate everybody being with us this evening. We're glad you've come out to worship God with us, and hopefully we'll have something to say that you'll be able to use as you go along life's way. I appreciate all the hospitality that has been shown to me while I was in this place. I still insist you folks treat me like a baby. I get fed every two hours, so uh, I'm going to buy some new clothes for the next meeting, and we'll see what happens then. So It's easier to buy new clothes than to go on a diet, so I just go that direction. I want to ask you a question. Why are you a member of the church that you attend? What caused you to choose where you go to church? You know, when I was young, I went to church because that's where my mom and dad went. You know, sometimes I would get up and I'd say, do I have to go to church? And dad would take his Bible and hit me in the head. He called it applying the word. <laughs> and, and so he would apply the word and, I, and we learned, we just, when we got up, we went to church. And so I went there because that's where my family went. Why are you here? Where, why do you go to the church that you attend? What is it? Is it scriptural? Is it something else? What makes you choose what you do? In the handbook of denominations, and you'll understand the language because they include churches of Christ in there. There's about 2,000 different things, big and small, that you could be a member of. Have you ever thought about why you're here, why you're where you're at and what you're doing? In Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus made the promise to Simon Peter. He said, And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus has a church. He has a people. And he promised to build that church, and he was going to give Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven, as he said in the next verse. And he was going to open the door to that church, and he was going to let people in. Now we were warned over the years by the apostles that after their departing, grievous wolves would enter, not sparing the flock. But of them own selves men would arise, speaking perverse things, and draw away disciples. In John, 1 John chapter 4, and verse 1, he said, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. Then he says, For many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know, there's a lot of people in the world that have an idea that if long as they go to church, they're going to be okay because it's the church leadership responsible to get it right. And if they didn't get it right, then it's really not the person in the pew's fault, or in this case, the chair. It's not really your fault, it's the leadership fault, and you just followed what? you really think God's going to say that's okay? Have you ever thought about the kinds of churches that are out there? I was driving through the country one time and I come across a little country church that had ladies mud wrestling on Tuesday night. You can't make this stuff up, people. And they had a crowd. (laughs) I'm sure it was quite entertaining. Church in Richardson, Texas, about 50 miles from us, had the stripper for Christ. Had quite a crowd. Do you know what the fastest growing church in North America was in the 1990s? It was in Toronto Canada it was called the Church of Holy Laughter and I'm not against humor but they had a picture of David Letterman up instead of some other religious symbol that okay with you you know I have to be honest with you good folks if it wasn't for the Bible and being concerned about there's a church I'd rather be a member of I'd be a member of it in a heartbeat if I thought it was okay started in 1970 Howard Cosell interviewed, and Google that if you don't know who he is, interviewed the pastor and the the creator of this church. They meet on Monday nights, the church of Monday night football. I'd be a charter member. (laughs) Do you really think that's going to be okay with the Lord? Now, I told Ricky, because she's heard me use this humorous antidote in other ways, Don't get lost on this if you don't get it. When is a door not a door? When it's a jar. I knew you wouldn't get that one, but that's okay. Tonight, when you open your door, look at your dash light, and you'll understand what I'm saying. But the truth of the matter is, when is a door not a door? I guess when it becomes something else. When is a church not a church? No matter how much we call it a church or we think it is, when does a church cease to be a church? When it ceases to be and do what Jesus wanted it to be and do. Now in the book of Revelation, the third chapter, the church at Laodicea had a problem. And I think a lot of church leaders and religious people get caught up like they do. You know, they had a name that they were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. They were growing. They thought they were doing great. But the Lord said, you're miserable and naked and wretched. He actually called them lukewarm. Well, if they were doing well and increased with goods and all that, how were they lukewarm? They must have not been doing what Jesus wanted them to do. You know what he told them? He said, so because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And those of you that have heard me use this before, I beg your pardon. Because you know what's coming next. You see, the literal translation of this church spew you out on the ground. If you get your Greek lexicon out, the literal translation is, I will vomit you out on the ground. You make me sick to my stomach. That's what he said to a church. You know, I thought, well, the King James missed that one because there's a lot of difference in spew you out of my mouth and vomit you out on the ground. Then I got to thinking about it. Maybe the translators didn't do such a bad job after all. Have you ever been so sick you threw up? And have you ever been so violently ill you just spewed it out? That's what he was talking about. Now, he's talking to one of his And he said, but you have a name that you're increased in goods. You know, there's lots of churches out there that come up with lots of ideas and lots of programs. I wonder if the Lord even recognizes it. So I want to talk to you about some things churches get into that would make us not to be what the Lord wants us to be. When does a church cease to be a church? When it becomes a political action committee. You ever thought about that? Oh, I know, every so often you'll have brethren get up behind the pulpit and tell you, Go vote, it's your Christian duty. Where'd you read that? I'll be glad to discuss it with you later if you want to. You know, in Acts 2 and 39, the Bible says, The promise is to you and to your children, as many as are far off, even as many as the Lord our God would call. A number of years ago, I loaded up a number of the kids and took them to Massachusetts. There was a reason we went up there. I wanted their young people to meet some of our young people. But the other thing I wanted them to know, Gunner is not the church. It's part of it. But that's not the church. And there's people that live in other states with other ways of looking at things that are Christians too. Now I know that around here we're very conservative in our politics. And there's even brethren that think, hey, if you can't vote Republican, how can you be a Christian? You be careful with that in blue states like Massachusetts because they're wondering how you can be a bloodthirsty Republican and call yourself a Christian. All you want to do is bomb somebody. You go to Massachusetts, you're going to go to church with people that think Ted Kennedy walked on water. Oh boy, now we got a problem, don't we? Well, is the kingdom a blue state or a red state? It's neither. It's not blue and it's not red. When we first started going to the Northeast, Lyndell Greer, one of the evangelists, went with me from Mississippi. And them Mississippi folks talk funny. <laughs> and I told Lindell, I said, now when we get up there, you let me do the talking. Because you got an accent and I can blend in. <laughs> we went to a place, we call it Concord. They call it Concord. Massachusetts. You know, and that's where they, they fought these battles and things. Now, Concord, Massachusetts has got this Forrest Gump thing working for them. They've had somebody die in every war that we've ever fought. And so Lindell and I, he's from Mississippi, stay with me. We're sitting there looking at this statue of a soldier. Well, we're used to that. But this soldier was one that gave his life, putting down the Great Rebellion. Lindell goes, I don't remember that one. I go, they fought it in your backyard. <laughs> you see, we're used to soldiers and, and statues to the Confederate States. But they have it up to the Union soldiers, and they put down those rebels that were treasonous against the United States. Is, it nor- is, the, is the kingdom northern or is it southern? Or is it political at all? Now what are you gonna do when you get to India and Nigeria? Now, Nigeria, whoever got the biggest gun apparently makes the rules. Now what do you do? They're not red or blue or purple or any of the others. What do you do where they got a king? You know, I think we're members of God's kingdom that happen to live in the United States. We're members of God's kingdom that happen to live in a red state. But there's members of God's kingdom live in a blue state up there. And politically, we may be like this. But when it comes time to worship God, we worship exactly the same way. You tell me. How political was the the kingdom of God in the church? Years ago, I heard a story. I think it was... When Nazi Germany was in control of things, they had an Olympic in Berlin. You, you know, we just had this Olympic thing. and the, I saw the ceremony where the flags go through of each of the countries. And, you know, whoever, whatever athlete got chosen to carry the flag, it was a great honor to them. But back here in the 30s, there was Hitler and all those heads of state up there. And the flags come through, and as was custom, they dipped the flags to the prime ministers and the Fuhrer and to all these all but one. One flag didn't. And they called the guy on the carpet and go, you have caused an international problem. You did not dip the flag in front of the heads of state. You know what the fellow said? He said, the United States bows to no king. And I'm going, yeah, that's right. You know, in fact is, didn't we just fight a war to kick the king out of here? We don't, you know, what's what we don't understand about the Middle East. They throw over one dictator so they can put up another dictator, which means their kids are going to have to overthrow that guy. We don't want a king over us. We were very specific about that, I believe, in the early writings of the country. You know the problem? Church is not a democracy, people. It's not a majority rule. The church is not a republic. The church is a monarchy. And you better bow to a king. The king of kings and the lord of lords. The church is not a political action committee. Now you may be involved in politics and have ideas about politics. That's fine. But the church is not a political action committee. We serve a king, and we follow his law. You know, sometimes churches cease to be churches because they become worshiping societies. I might go, "Wow, that sounds kind of weird." Well, I got it off the internet. It's got to be true. I mean, come on, right? Okay, I'm just kidding. You know what I'm talking about? When all we do think we're okay as long as we come three times a week, or two times a week, or one time a week. Whatever our custom is, we come to worship God. We sit in the pew or the chair. And that's all we do. And then we go about our business the rest of our lives and we don't worry about it. You know, years ago I was not raised in the Church of Christ. And the church I was a member of, I went into the post office and the lady that run the post office was also a part of that church that I grew up in. And I said, you know, I wished I knew the Bible like Brother Bertie did. I don't know what kind of mama names her kid, Bertie, but that was the name of their pastor. I wish I knew the Bible like he did. You know what she told me? She said, it's his job to know it. You don't have to worry about it. You see, we're going to go sit on the pew. And we were very fortunate. We had Brother Bertie to know the Bible for us. And I didn't have to know the Bible. And you know, we had brother so-and-so, and he led this, He was the singer for us. And we had brother so-and-so, and he took care of the young people. And we had brother so-and-so, and he was the personal work guy. And we had all those guys to do that for us, and we didn't have to worry about it. As long as we just come to church. Really? Is that the way the Lord intended it to be? Let's just go hire the best people we can find and let them do it for us. If that's possible, why didn't we hire somebody to pray for us? Probably needed somebody to pray for us. But that's not what I had in mind. Hire somebody to commune for us. You know the biggie? And I think this will go over big with most of the brethren. Why don't we hire somebody to contribute for us? <laughs> well, let's don't get too far out there, Marlon. You see, the problem is you can't take your responsibility and hire somebody else to do it for you. You are the salt of the earth. And if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, to this day when I go to some cafeteria... And I'm going to get, I like salt. I salt everything. It's a bad habit. If they take me off salt, it's going to be, I salt potato chips, people. I really do. (laughs) I like salt. I think it's got a savor. But you know, I always check the lid. Because when I was growing up, there was always some bozo that would loosen the lid and then you just dump the whole thing. You know, it had a powerful impact when that happened to you. And you could never scrape enough of it off, even as much as I like salt. But every now and then we'd have a box of salt, and it would get damp or wet. And you know, it kind of gets hard. And then you try to sprinkle it out. You well, really scrape you a little off because you cut the top of the box loose. Hey, people, this is 48 cents if you want to go buy a new box. I mean, that's, it costs money. So we try to scrape that old stuff off, and it's just like putting sand on your your food. Dad never threw it away, though. He didn't use it for trodden underfoot. Whenever weather got bad like it's supposed to do tonight, he would go out and put it in the (laughs) driveway. That's what it was good for. It wasn't good for what it was intended for, which was to salt and flavor the food, to influence that which was around it. You know, that's what we've done by hiring people to do our work for us. That's all we've done is the salt has lost its savor. The Lord intends all of us to be involved. When is a church not a church? When it ceases to preach the gospel to the world. What's the mission? What's the goal? Have you ever thought of that? You know, every now and then at, at home, I have to remind them, you know what we're about, don't you? You know what the bottom line is. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 16, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Evidently, doctrine was important to Paul. Now, I know people today say it's not important, but it was back then. Continue in them, for in so doing, you shall both save yourself and them that hear you. That's what we're about folks. We're in the soul saving business. Jesus was in the soul saving business. In Luke 19 when he talked to Zacchaeus. You know the wee wee man that climbed the sycamore tree for the Lord to see. In verse 10 of Luke 19 he said. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Is that what we're about? Is that the business we're in? To save ourselves and them that hear us. Ourselves and others. Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He told them, You'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. That's how the gospel got out here. This has to be the uttermost part of the earth. Ain't nowhere else got weather like this. Guarantee you. But the gospel's here too. That was the mission of the church. In Ephesians 3 and 10, he talks about the church. And he said its it's job was to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the world. Now, that makes sense to me. Now, you and I are the church. You realize that. If we're not preaching the gospel, if Christians aren't preaching the gospel to the world, who's going to do it? Oh, that's right, we're going to hire somebody. Really? Back in the day, and you that are members of the church will understand this, they were very concerned about Alexander Campbell's new movement. And there is a term that is used in derision about that. But they were concerned about it. It was just taken over. And they wanted to find out why. And what they determined was, was in Alexander Campbell's new movement, you understand the language, everybody that was converted became a preacher and converted somebody else. Now, you can do the math. I don't know what it'll be now. When I did this, it was four billion people on the earth, and I think we've multiplied since then. But at the time of four billion people, if you have one person that was a Christian that converted one person, that converted one person, that convert, and they all just went out and kept converting people, and everybody was a converter, it took 18 years to convert the entire world and you're waiting for people to be born to talk to. Preaching the gospel. Now we're not getting anywhere near those kind of numbers or that kind of, why? Well, then I had a fellow break it down for me. He said, you start with four guys. And one, two, and three decide to go preach the gospel, but four doesn't. He prefers American Idol, Dancing with the Stars, stuff like that. So he doesn't go out. And because one guy decided he wasn't going to go preach the gospel to the world, like the Lord said do, One billion of the four billion would not hear the gospel. Do the math. The mission of the church is to preach the gospel to the whole world. 1 Corinthians 4 tells us we have the treasure in earthen vessels, me and you. Paul told the Corinthians that through the foolishness of preaching, God chose to convert the world. How are we doing? When a church ceases to preach the gospel to the whole world, it ceases to be what the Lord intended it to be. When it ceases to be a family, a church ceases to be a church when it ceases to be a family. In Ephesians 3 and 15, the Bible talks about of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, talking about the Lord. Years ago, I learned this lesson and, and these days I know are long gone, but back in the day, we moved down to the Houston area. And I would go through the Houston area and there were signs. And I mean, I think the minimum wage was like two twenty five dollars an hour or something like that, I don't remember. But you know, if you had a 5 $6 an hour job, you had a pretty good job. You made 10 bucks an hour, you could live in the biggest house in town. <laughs> yeah, it was back in the day. At any rate, we were going down the road, and these, these refineries and these businesses couldn't get enough help. And they would say, starting wage, $15 an hour, just trying to get somebody to go to work for them. And it said, we will train. Now, I know those days are long gone. You know what happened? There were a lot of kids, young people, like Bev and I that left the farm and went to the city to find work. Now, as I was going about talking to people, door knocking as we call it or whatever, doing personal work, I found one thing that was very important for the church. I found a lot of young people and young families that were a long way from home and they were looking for a place where they could belong. They were looking for a family. And I got to thinking, if the church can't fill that bill, why are we here, people? Now, years ago, when I was growing up, we had ice. We had an ice box. No, we had an ice box. I come, being a tightwad comes honest for me. <laughs> My dad had an ice box. And we would put 50-pound block of ice in that rascal. Well, we had to go to Wiley to buy it because Plano was a little bitty spot in the road back then. And we'd go to Wiley to the ice house. And I remember me and my cousin, we'd be standing there, and it's 105 in the shade. You know what those summer days are like. And this old man would come out with all these clothes on and heavy gloves. Me and my cousin, sometime we didn't have a shirt on, we had our short pants on and our tennis shoes, and we're standing there. And he's going, Are you ready? I remember that old man saying, are you ready? And we're going, yeah, give it to us. (laughs) And he'd open that door to that ice and it would come rolling out there and your head would go like that, man. Your eyes would bug out and it would give you a brain freeze. Unfortunately, I've been to churches that when they opened the door reminded me of the Wiley Ice House. I hope that's not the case. I hope when people visit, I hope people feel like they can find a family here, that they can belong, that the people care about them. We rejoice with those that rejoice. We weep with those that weep because we're a family. Now, folks, we're all in this together. We need to act like it. I can tell you over the years that I have been much closer to my church family than I have my physical family that was not part of the church. I want you to know that. And if the church can't be a family, folks, we're of men most miserable. Why are we here? When the church ceases to be a hospital for sinners and becomes a rest home for the saints, it's a problem. It ceases to be what the Lord intends it to be. You know, the Bible says it's enough for the disciple to be as his Lord and the servant as his master. We claim that Jesus is our Lord and our master. What'd Jesus go about doing? Years ago been years now had a lady come to me and she said I want you to know boy, and she's she serious heart attack too now she said I want you to know that this church is getting a reputation in this town i figure this is gonna be good <laughs> only morbid curiosity makes me ask okay tell me what is our reputation and she told me she said everybody in this town knows if you got a problem this is the place to go to church And I'm going, finally, we made it. You mean we're the friends of sinners? (laughs) Well, hallelujah, we finally got there, brethren. You better believe it. If you're a sinner and you need to change your life and straighten your life out, and you want to straighten family out, and you want to look for a home in heaven, this is the place to go to church. The Lord was friend of sinners. That was one of the complaints about him. He even, and we've already talked about this this week, he even had the audacity to eat with and convert publicans. You see, they got their own category of sin. Have you ever noticed that? What? Read it in the Bible. There's the harlots, the sinners, and the publicans. On top of that, he got one of these outcast publicans to write the first book of the New Testament. What do you think Matthew was? You know, I've I've heard guys get up and preach about the storm on the Sea of Galilee when the apostles were in the boat and the Lord was sleeping. And I've heard brethren say, you know, these guys were fishermen, and they were used to the sea, and they were scared. I got news for you people. (laughs) They weren't all fishermen. And I know what at least one of them was doing in that boat. (laughs) And he probably thought he was already dead. He was a tax collector of all things. But Jesus converted him, and he became an apostle. His name was Levi, we call him Matthew. And he wrote the first book of the New Testament in the order they're given. We're a hospital for sinners. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Now, I want you to listen to me, folks. Heaven's going to be full of sinners, because that's all we are. Now, there ain't none of us going to be up there, and we got into heaven just because we're so good. We deserve for Jesus to die for us. We're sinners that found the blood of Christ. Come unto me, all you that are labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's what Jesus was about. He was saving sinners. You ever wonder what the Lord really thinks about folks? You know, sometimes I think people got the idea of God just waiting to barbecue us. That the Lord's just waiting to send people to hell. In the book of Luke, the 4th chapter, and the 18th verse. In Luke 4 and 18. This is said about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to save sinners. You know, I got to thinking about this here. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. You know, to the humble. The Bible says not many mighty, not many noble are called. You know who Jesus came to? He came to average, everyday people that sometimes society had forgotten. That's who he hung out with. He just came for average folks. He came for folks like me and you. Now, he, the king's got the gospel preached to him. Not many obeyed. Maybe some did. But he came to the humble, to the masses. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You know, life's tough out there, folks. It's a tough game. Life is a contact sport. And there are people with broken hearts out there. That bad things have happened to them, maybe because of their doing. Maybe it was self-inflicted. Maybe it was of nobody's doing. But it hurts just as bad. Jesus came to heal those hearts. Preach deliverance to the captives. You know, we don't have the demonic possession like they had in the first century. But you know, there's people held captive today. Just as sure as they were in the first century. There's people that get involved with all kinds of substances. We call them addictions. And those captives and those demons are just as real as they were in the first century. Jesus came to set them free. Set at liberty, recover the sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised. The blind, people looking for the way. They've lost their way in life. They don't know what to do, where to turn. Things aren't working out the way they're supposed to. They don't know how their life is in a mess. They don't know how to straighten it out. Jesus said, I'll give them sight. I'll show them how they ought to walk. And them that are bruised. Sometimes people just get kicked around. You know, I've known people that no matter how hard they tried, it just seemed like life used them like a football. Jesus said, I come to heal them. That's what Jesus came to do. Now, is this the business, the church that we're a member of and attend is about? That we're going to follow the king of kings and his will. That we're going to take the gospel to the world. That we're going to realize we're part of a big kingdom made up of a lot of different folks with a lot of different customs. And that the church is a hospital for the sinner and the Lord's here to heal hearts. If you're here tonight and you're looking for a place to belong, come as we stand and sing.